We all remember recess growing up in school. Recess was a time of day where you could have all the conversations that you could not have while in class. Recess, recess is where you had the real conversations and real conversations we're going to have. In each episode of the Recess Podcast, I'm going to have real conversations explaining students and school. I'm David McGuire, and I'll be your host. It's recess time, y'all. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of the Recess Podcast. I'm your host, David McGuire. Wonderful to be here, uh, despite the circumstances, but was glad I was able to jump on. I have uh, three very special guests with me, and we're going to have a wonderful conversation about something that I think a lot of people, not just in Indianapolis, but a lot of people around the country, um, have their mixed feelings about. And so this this opportunity tonight is we're going to kind of dispel some of those myths. So it's, it's the title of the show, Dispelling the Myths of Teach for America, but we're specifically going to talk about Indianapolis. Um, so I want to welcome everybody to the Recess Podcast. If you're tuning in, please share this link, like it. Um, if you're on Facebook, uh, we love comments, so please make sure you comment. We'll get those posted. If you share the link, I ask that you don't do the watch party because it takes away the option of the comment. And the best part of the show is when we're able to comment with those interacting. So we're going to jump right in. Um, again, this is the Recess Podcast. I'm David McGuire, and tonight's episode is Dispelling the Mist. But before we do that, um, I would be negligent and remiss if I didn't just take the time to kind of talk about what's going on. And so if you could just bear with me, everybody, before we jump in, I'm going to jump into this eight minute and 45 seconds soliloquy. Uh, but really, for me, it's a tribute to the to the black people, tribute to black people who died at the hands of police officers. So many of you know that Colin Kaepernick had a um, a Nike campaign last year that centered on the message. If you believe in something, um, it means you're willing to sacrifice everything. And so I asked myself that question daily, like, am I willing to sacrifice everything to fight for a better education for black children? Right. And so for me, the recess podcast has become my own answer. Um, but we have an opportunity here. Right. The unfortunate death of black men at the hands of police officers has given us a platform. But the million dollar question is, what are we going to do with that platform? Right. What are we going to do once the last person has marched down the streets? See, we got to keep this energy and we got to keep applying the pressure to those elected in leadership because the system is waiting for us to get tired. The system is waiting for us to give up. Because in their minds, it won't, it won't, we can't, we won't last. We won't keep this going. So they're just gonna try to wait us out. So the only way that we're gonna get the things that we want is we gotta keep applying the pressure. So I ask that everybody be diligent to continue the fight. Those that if their advocacy and your activism is marching, continue to march until we get what we need. Do not stop because that's what they're waiting on. If you have a platform, use your platform. If you have a voice in the social media, use that. Whatever your gift is, a part of this fight, I ask that you use it. But also in this activism, it's important, right? I'm a teacher. So it's important that you educate yourself. And so I have compiled a list of books and suggested readings for those of you that have just joined this movement of pro-black. And so my suggested reading list for you, you have The Fire Next Time and Native Son by James Baldwin. You have Sister Outsider. You have the autobiography of Malcolm X. I encourage you to listen to Malcolm X's speech, Ballot or Bullet. You have Stamp from the Beginning. You have Listening to Speeches of Martin Luther King. I've been to the mountaintop in the other America. I encourage you to read The Miseducation of the Negro, Between the World and Me, What Doesn't Kill Me Makes Me Blacker, Freedom is a Constant Struggle, and 
the bluest eyes ever. So these are just some of the books and things I suggest you listen to. I'll post these on my social media. But if those of you that have just joined this fight, it's important that you also educate yourself about the historical struggle of black people. Because what you don't understand, COVID isn't the only pandemic for black people. We've been dealing with a pandemic for 400 years and it's called racism. And for 400 years, we've been looking for a vaccine and we still ain't got it. So again, I encourage you to educate yourself, to read up on these books, um, because again, I don't know if we can make everybody woke, but we damn sure can make them uncomfortable being asleep on this issue. So um, for those of you that ask, you know, I haven't posted too much or anything like that. I need you to understand something. I've been woke since August 21st, 2006, when as an 18 year old kid, I walked into Dr. Eugene Bailey's English class on the campus of Central State University. So I've been about this life. So those that just got a part of it, I don't need you coming for me asking me to say anything because I've been about this and this ain't for me. I don't need the shooting deaths of black men at the hands of police officers to wake me up. All right. So I'm off my soapbox. I just thought it was important that I get that out. I don't know if any, if you, if you guys have anything you want to say, or if you just want to jump right into it, I got more I can say. I could definitely say it, but I, I want to open the floor before we talk about the topic. Is there anything on you all's mind pressing with everything going on? Um, that you want to share. Jump in if you want, or just say, I'm good. I'll save my speech for later on in the show. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm good. Um, <clears throat> I feel as though it's really important to articulate yourself well in these moments. Um, and part of me is still very emotional. And so it's difficult for me to do that right mm -hmm. now. So I'll save my spiel for later. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, and it's okay. Like people are saying, you have to be, you have to be okay with not being okay, right? We've seen that float around social media, right? You have to be okay with not being okay. Uh, I think what Pastor John said, if, you, if this doesn't bother you, there's something wrong with you. If you're not shooken, shaken, whatever term you want to use about this, <laughs> you know, th th there's literally something wrong with you. And so I definitely understand. Uh, Max or Stephanie. Anything you guys want to say? I think my only piece, and I want to say it in the sense of like, as a white person to other white people involved in this is like elevating, being elevating the black voices means that you don't add your comment necessarily. Sometimes it just means that you give them the floor, whether that be on Instagram, you just share the story without saying anything. Like it's just not our place, right? Yeah. Like our place is to use our platform and our privilege to give, give the road to them because y'all haven't had it. You need, you need it. Absolutely. Love that. Um, I just want to make sure like to serve as like a reminder to make sure that you are checking your sources, make sure that you are not just relying on social media, Facebook or Twitter as like your news source and be like very fact checking your things. Um, yep. I think it's super important and it's easy to get lost in like all the social media posts and articles that are shared. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oh, also, I want to shout out the folks that are standing in those lines voting. Uh, I know it's crazy, right? And again, we talk about the system. The system decided to only open up 22 polling sites, right? The system decided to only mail out absentee ballots to certain people, even though I know tons more people suggest that they wanted an absentee ballot, right? Because again, they want to they don't want our voice to be heard, right? So they're going to create the conditions and the situations where we won't be heard. So again, I encourage all of you to continue to that's out there, stay diligent, stick through it. Right. Let your voice be heard in those voting by in the voting ballots. So, again, take your time. 
Uh, I know it's hot. If, if I was available, I would I would bring something, some water, but I know there's some folks out there uh, taking water to folks. And so definitely encourage everybody to do that as well. So keep doing that. Got folks already jumping into the comments. Uh, so love that. Again, this is the Recess Podcast. And we're here um, dispelling the myths of Teach for America. I know when if you first logged in, you was like, what are they? I thought they were talking about Teach for America. Now we're going to get there. It just was important that we had things that we needed to say. Um, and it's very important that we say those things now. So we're going to jump in, right? And so um, I'm going to put the three of you on the spot because I wrote a little autobiography about Teach for America. So all my Teach for America folks um, in Indianapolis that is listening, that's watching, uh, please jump in the comments and fact check me if I got anything wrong. I had to do my research, but you know how sometimes the internet can be. You can get your facts wrong, but I did look at multiple sources. So tonight I have three um, Teach for America court members with me. Uh, we'll be discussing myths that exist within Teach for America, specifically Indianapolis. For those of you that don't know, uh, Teach for America is the brainchild and senior thesis of founder Wendy Cope when she was at Princeton. Um, the thesis was an idea to quickly turn around and, and train outstanding college graduates to go into high poverty schools. So this was 1989. So now we're almost you're 30 years later talking about Teach for America. It's in multiple cities, specifically Indianapolis. And it wasn't until 2008 when Teach for America and the Mind Trust champion bringing Teach for America here. And so now we're over a decade in. Um, again, I've had my, my mixed feelings about Teach for America. I didn't get in coming out of college. So that made me a little upset and anti-Teach for America for a beginning. But, but I got over that. But I've, I've been having opportunity to work with some amazing uh, educators and friends of mine that are Teach for America. I've met some amazing people. Um, and honestly, I educated myself on what Teach for America was about. And I didn't fall into some of those myths that we're going to dispel this evening. So um, you got a fan and an advocate in me. I have Teach for America members in my building um, and they've been amazing. I got two last year that are amazing. I have three this year that I know are going to be amazing. So I'm really excited about that. So Let's jump in. So I do a segment every time called Can Y'all Explain This? So uh, there is an article and I will share it. Uh, it's, a, it's an article floating around social media and the title is Teachers Must Hold Themselves Accountable for Dismantling Racial Oppression. In the piece, the author says we must commit to teaching in a way that totally disrupts and dismantles the system of oppression. So my question for you three individuals who are going back into the classrooms in the fall, whether it's physically or virtually, but let's all pray or whatever fast, whatever we do <laughs> that we're going in the fall, uh, that we're back in the schools. But my question for you is, why do you feel it's important for teachers going into next year to have this accountability to make sure that we're fighting through racial oppression in schools? So anybody want to jump in? Just whoever wants to go first. Taylor, are you going to go first? I'm going to just cold call you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cold call you. So, so I'll put the question back up. What obligation do teachers have next year to dismantle racial oppression in schools? Okay, so I think when you look at historically the um, racial oppression that has happened in general, right, um, schools upheld it the most, and they still do to this day, um, whether it be... I don't know, the way they retain kids, the way, what they teach kids. Um, think about history books and stuff. I won't even lie to you. I didn't learn real 
African-American history or African history until I got to college, right? And I went to private schools my whole life. So um, I think as teachers, if we ever want to see it, um, see racial oppression dismantled, we ha it has to start with us in our classrooms. How are we bringing these kids up from day one? What are we teaching them? What, what stories are we telling them? And how do we give them, um, how do we give them the tools that they need to go out into the world and, and fight it and conquer it and do the things that we need to do, whether our kids be black, brown, white, green, um, whatever the case may be, um, just keeping it real with them and what it is that they need to go out and be successful in this world. Absolutely. I, my uh, intersectional point is that I am in lower elementary special education and statistically, um, Black people are entered into the special education process at a higher rate that is kind of disproportionate into what like their actual like eligibility status is like special education has a beautiful purpose. But there's a lot of people who are suffering from trauma from like another lining medical condition that like systemic poverty and systemic racism has been affecting. So when I think of like what I need to do as a teacher, it's like I need to hold space and collect as many resources as possible to ensure that the, the scholars I'm working with and their peers are getting every support that they need so that they can succeed and have a life of choice because someone getting shunted into special education might cut them off from a series of choices, including college, certain career options and things of that nature. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with Max that like, it's super important that teachers have to have those resources, but I also think that teachers need to be, be doing the work, kind of how you mentioned, like making sure they're ca caught up on readings and making sure they're like aware of what their students are experiencing and not necessarily saying that you have to be empathetic for what they feel and whatnot, but know what's going on so that you're aware and try to figure out ways that you can support them. Um, I think for myself specifically, it's, uh, it's nice that I bring that Hispanic background to my school because they're, they're small, but no one really thinks about the, Hispa the Hispanic populations like at my school because it's predominantly black. Um, so I, I, I stay aware and try to bring those resources also to like my school. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, teachers, next year is gonna be different, right? Not even just with COVID and that adjustment, but now this, um, the uproar in America, right? Where we're, we're, we're 2020, man, it, listen, 2020 has been like, it's been that year, right? With, man, listen, we lost Kobe. <laughs> right, like that—that that started it off, right? I think you know, and then everything happening now, like it's just—it's just, just going to be a different space. And I think, but the one thing that is now back in the forefront is how you know the system is not necessarily designed for, and and this is this is separate from the shooting. So the, like the system's not designed for like students of color, right? So whether it's black and Latinx, right? So we have a responsibility, right, to make sure that they overcome the system as best they can and rise through it because we have examples of Latinx and black people who've risen um, through the system, right? We put a black man in a white house and we have a Latinx woman sitting on the Supreme Court justice, right? So like there's, those are opportunities where we have overcome. And so I just think it's important. So uh, that's our segment of Can You Explain This? Now we're gonna jump into the actual show. So you guys have been talking, folks don't even know who you are. So I'm going to ask the first question, but before you answer, I want you to kind of just introduce the folks who you are. You know, your name, if you're from Indy, if you're not, you know, um, what school um, you represent, what grade, whatever you want to talk about so people know who you are before we jump in. So I'll just jump right in. So how did you hear about Teach for America? 
and what was the reason for joining? So Stephanie, I'll let you go first. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so my um, I am in a multicultural sorority called Capital Takai. And a lot of my sisters are heavy TFA alum involved in some shape or form. They're like out here recruiting, um, canvassing for TFA at, um, at Arizona State, which is my alma mater. Um, I'm from Arizona. Um, and so ASU is one of the biggest um, TFA recruiters. I think it's like top three um, or top five, probably wrong. But I'm from Arizona. Um, I am a first generation um, Mexican-American. Um, that did not plan on moving to Indianapolis, but TSA <laughs> relocated me all the way over here. Um, I remember when I got my offer, like my offer, like I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna stay here, probably like down the street. And then it's like, Indianapolis, it's like, where is that? <laughs> what? Um, so it was my first time experiencing the Midwest. Um, my first no, I, it was the, the first time it rained here i thought i was gonna die so, <laughs> it was um it's still like an experience like the other day when the tornado warning went off i was like yeah i was, and I was like we gotta hide um so i teach at circle city prep and we've been doing drill um tornado drills and i was like this is how you hide like time. and then he was like you're so weird like no that's not what we do here it'll go off um, yeah so it's been an experience well, I think now you brought some of that Arizona sunshine, man. It's been hot these past couple of days, man. Yeah. I this lost my lovely. breath. Right, absolutely. Uh, so, so Max, same question. You know, what, what brought you to uh, TFA? Uh, what's your reasoning and just who you are? Yeah, so I'm originally from rural Missouri. I'm from a, like a, low, a lower income like background. Like my grandparents are farmers. Um, first generation college student, first generation graduate student. I come from a theater background. My first encounter with Teach for America was acting as a Teach for America teacher in a play <laughs> that my friend wrote oh. about her time in the Delta. She, okay. she reflected on her experience as like a white Teach for America teacher in the Mississippi Delta. She wrote a play, produced it in grad school when I was at Ohio State uh, or the Ohio State. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> connection. Uh, so that was my first encounter with it. And so like she did, it wasn't a positive experience for her. So like, I was like, okay, noted. Move the for story forward. I'm in Cleveland and I'm a teaching artist. So like I'm embedded full time doing a social, emotional and theater curriculum in a Cleveland Metro school. Uh, so I'm functioning as like an enrichment teacher there uh, contracted through like a local theater. And I'm working alongside Teach for America teachers at this point, both people who matriculated through and people who are still in it. And I'm spending four days a week teaching uh, in Teach for America schools and I'm engaging with young people and like my consciousness is winding further and further, uh, which, you know, had a lot to grow as like a rural white kid. Um, and I began to see like, really see like both like the untapped potential of young people uh, and how these communities have been like both underserved and like under-identified and like seeing how much they could grow when given meaningful work and like meaningful opportunities. And so, I realized that with my career, uh, with uh, having a family, like I, I want to spend my time in the school. Right. And so I knew that like education is where I'm, I'm going to shift my life. And so my wife and I had a conversation. She's from Indiana. Um, I applied to ITF and I missed the deadline. <laughs> so I applied for Teach for America <laughs> Indianapolis and uh, landed in special education and been pretty happy ever since. 
rest is history. Yeah. My professor was from Missouri, the show me state. Yeah. She said, yep. I can show you better than I can tell you. So she always told me stuff. Absolutely. Taylor, I'm assuming you're from Ohio State. You went to Ohio State. I, I just, yeah, okay. I gathered that in the midst of that. So, so same question, you know, uh, what was the reason for Teach for America, who you are, you know, all that good stuff. So I am Taylor Garrett. I uh, will be teaching upper elementary at mm -hmm. KIPP next year, KIPP Indy Unite. I am a graduate of the Ohio State University. And <laughs> I was introduced to KIPPA um, in college. So I knew I had some friends who were a few years older who began joining TFA. They did TFA right out of undergrad. Um, and to be completely honest, the first time I applied, I got denied, um, which is all great, right? So it wasn't time for me. But I literally remember, you know, I think like one of the prompts is, why do you want to join Teach for America? And I was like, well, I love kids, but I'm really not sure what I'm doing after undergrad. So I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, and it just wasn't the right time. Um, so I ended up going the first few years, first five years out of undergrad, I actually spent time in the healthcare industry. Hmm. And while I was really good at my job and everything that I did, there was still a part of me missing. So like I said, I love working with kids. I've always loved working with kids and I didn't quite know where that fit in in my life. Um, so I was working part-time, even with a full-time career, I was working part-time at the YMCA in Columbus. and. It was just that part that fulfilled me the most. So now I'm trying to figure out, you know, do I stay with this company where I can potentially retire from in mm. years or do I go and try to do something I'm a little more passionate about? And so I applied for Teach for America again and I got in um, Indianapolis, like Steph said, um, was way, way, way down on my list. If they give me <laughs> number nine, and only because I have family here. Um, but it turned out to be a blessing in disguise that I got placed here, um, have been able to spend this time with my family and just really learned so much about all of it. Good, yeah, well, I'm glad Teach for America uh, was able to, or Teach for America Indy was able to like tap in and pull you guys from the places that you wanted to go to and bring you here. So <laughs> shout out to all those folks that, uh, for America, Indianapolis, that, that brought you guys here. So again, if you're just tuning in, this is the Recess Podcast, uh, Dispelling the Myths of Teach for America. I have three incredible uh, Teach for America, Indianapolis <laughs> teachers. I want to bold Indianapolis for you. Uh, and we're going to dispel some myths. Uh, so if you're tuning in on Facebook, uh, share, like, uh, pass it to a friend. We're also on the YouTube page, the Recess Podcast. Um, if you're on Facebook, again, jump in the comments. We're going to get those posted. Share the video. Don't do a watch party, but share the video. So let's jump in again. It's like double dutch. I don't care who just jump in when it's your turn. So myth number one, uh, this was actually this was actually the one that kind of like turned me up, turned me against like Teach for America in the beginning. So I'll read it. Uh, TFA is just a resume builder. And the majority of people who join are doing this just to get a better job outside of education after their two year commitment. So. True or false? <laughs> I don't think you can get through the TFA experience if that's your goal, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of folks who have that mindset like get weeded out really quick mm -hmm. by like the actual experience of teaching. It's 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 a, such a like it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, right? Like this is what I wanted, and I came mm -hmm. like I, I came from theater. It's like oh, this is gonna be easy. Like nope, nope, so wrong, so wrong, right? <laughs> Right, like, I, 
I mean, I don't think anyone who goes in with that viewpoint and like, maybe there's been some, like, I feel like maybe I've heard of some folks who do it, but a lot of people who do like get converted by the experience and then they end up sticking around in education in some capacity or serving in these communities. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure I asked my question specifically. Right. So because I get now the idea, right, that you do this, but you stay within the fight. That's why I said they get a job outside of education. Right. I'm not. We're going to get to like school in the classroom later. But the first one was just a resume builder for that. So Taylor, Stephanie. Right. Is it just a resume builder? So it's it's definitely let's just say it is a phenomenal (laughs) resume builder. Right. <laughs> you know, showing that you are a graduate of the Ohio State University and you're entering the largest alumni population in the, in the nation. Um, it's uh-huh. one of those things. Um, people see that you've done it and it's like, great. Um, but like Max said, just to second that, is this is not one of those things that you're going to jump into and think you're just going to ride by and and get to the end so that you do have it on your resume. This is this is crazy tough work. And I think the only way to get through it is to have a passion for it. And so I know friends who actually wanted to use it as a resume builder. Right. And so now that they're really still in this work, they're also like, wait a minute. Everything that I thought I wanted to do has kind of changed. Um, And it's and even if they do decide to leave the classroom, it has still centered around education and fighting that inequity. So. Yeah, I agree with Taylor um, that a lot of the people that I know that when they apply for TFA, it was just like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life or I need to like kind of promote my resume, make it a little more shinier, polish it up. So I'm going to do TFA. But then it's either how Max said they get weeded out because like life was too hard um, or for like their own reasons. Right. Um, Or they just stick it out and they're like, oh, wow, I just had like a revelation. And now I this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, so those have been more my experiences that I've noticed that people sometimes they start off with like a different mindset, but once they're in, they're like their mindset completely changes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, I'm gonna give my little two cent. Listen, if it is a resume builder, kudos to you. Shoot, for, <laughs> listen, man, forget what people say. <laughs> hey, listen, if it's a resume builder and you get you a better job um, and better opportunities for your family. And, and give you a platform to do better, to ultimately remember, right, what you learned from Teach for America about the inequities of children of color in low-income schools. And if you get a job, make sure you take that job and whatever privilege comes with that job and just give something back. I think if you do that, and I, I, what I'm assuming, based off her book I read and what I know about Teach for America, right, that was the the, the essence and the purpose, right? So, um that's just my little two cent. But anyway, um, <laughs> myth number two. Now, this is slightly different than the first question, but it's just kind of the same. So uh, majority of TFA teachers exit the classroom and schools after fulfilling their two year commitment. Right. So like, is that the experience that you guys know that you heard? And again, we're talking about Indy. Right. So we can't mm-hmm. really talk about Arizona or the Mississippi Delta or New York. We're just talking about Indy. So from what you've heard and been in it, is that true? Like they leave after the, they leave school and classrooms after the two year commitment or do people stick around? Um, I've seen the opposite. The like, I'm actually surprised. And I know you said like, don't think about Arizona, but I've seen like the crazy mm-hmm. how like indie people actually like stay. And at first when I was over here, I was like, why would you want to stay here? Like, this is <laughs> and then, but like, it's grown on me. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's actually not that bad. And so this is also why I'm like, oh, at the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't want to be here for like the two years. But now I'm like, oh, here I am, staying another year. 
-hmm. potentially saying even more. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I think that the, like, yes, there's some people that like exit out and yes, there's some people that stay. Um, But I think there's like a, like a equal, like not an equal balance, but there's like a balance of who does stay and who, um, who leaves. I don't know if you guys, Max and I are in the same like cohort year. Um, But I think for our cohort, like that's how. Yeah. I I think as far as like Indy's concerned, like our percentage is actually really high of those who remain in the education sector. And I'm I'm curious, like how much of that is just like Indianapolis is sort of like unique education context in terms of like Mm -hmm. how schools operate. But like, I think it was like 70% or something of like TFA Indy alum stay in education. Uh, in the classroom or like in admin or operations, like they are remaining as a part of the fight. And then like, there's like some other percentage that's like in sort of the surrounding like social work macro world. Man, shout out 70%, listen, shout out Andy. That's better these teacher preparation programs. I'll tell you that. That's a a whole nother topic (laughs) for a whole nother day. Let me not please. My, my traditional people, I'm traditional, right? So listen, I can say, I can talk about it, right? We don't do a good job. And I think, I'm going to say this. If we were doing our job in a traditional world, I'm pretty sure TFA wouldn't have been around this long. But that's my two cents. Taylor, what's, what, what are you, what's your thoughts on this, this notion? Uh, they leave. I think um, since we're specifically talking about Indy, I think Indianapolis and Teach for America Indianapolis does a really good job of retaining their teachers and people in education in general. Um, so kind of like Max and Steph were saying, I don't know too many people who have left. What surprises me even more are the people who have left Indianapolis after their two years and still come back. Um, <laughs> again, kind of like, whoa, you really came back to this place? Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, like I have, I have a friend specifically who did Teach for America and she's a 2013 alum. And girl is brilliant, right? Like had all of the different job offers coming out of undergrad that I'm sure like now she would be making six figures and she's still in the classroom today. Um, so yeah, we we definitely stay. Don't believe the hype. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so myth number three. And this one, you know what? This one is important to me. So I, I'm really curious to get your you all's thoughts. And then again, if this is a recess podcast, we are dispelling some myths of Teach for America. So again, share, like, comment uh those teach for america folks that are listening um whether it's facebook or youtube jump in this as well we want to hear your thoughts as well so jump in with with your thoughts about these myths so the third one says tfa proved that it does not take much training to be an effective teacher uh-uh. true or false here we go uh, yeah okay no, let's stuff. go. What's so, yes, they send us off to institute for what four weeks, four and a half weeks, um, five weeks, and, and we come back. and I am not going to lie to you, no, absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, so that's definitely not the case. What I think we see is a lot of schools that we are plugged into doing their part, um, and making us effective teachers at the end of the day. It, it, no, is it takes a lot of hard work and training and having the right people there to coach you. Otherwise, no, Marcus says ineffective for the year. I mean, from my context, special education, which has like a lot of discrete discipline skills and like paperwork and law that I'm required to know, like 
No, because like, yes, I went to, I went to Institute just like y'all, but like I, they didn't buff us on uh, special education. It ended up falling to like Marion university who was like the teach for America's partner uh, in some of their training. So like my graduate degree uh, from Marion was like a key component, a key lever in my training that like TFA was using because Marion university has these experienced special educators and they know both ITF and TFA are going through this like matriculation program and like are giving them like the brass tack skills to do this very uh, nuanced position that like I'm in. Like, no, like I was, it was, it was not all the training at once. And then I go to the classroom. Like uh, some of my colleagues, it was on the job, continual at night, coming in the next morning on the weekend. Like it was a grind. Yeah, it's a, yeah grind, yep. It's a grind. Um, and like, and, and for the people that are viewing, like in case you didn't know, um, TFA does like a, like how Taylor was saying the intensive five week summer training. And then it's like, you're teaching. And then after you're done teaching in the morning, which you're like helping out with like local summer schools, um, you go and do your own schooling. And so you, you're stuck in the classroom, like getting fed all this information of how do you teach? What do you teach? Um, how do you make a lesson plan? Okay. Now we're going to break up into groups and make your own lesson plan. Um, and for me, like, this was interesting because it was the first time that I was learning all of this, but I think what I learned the most from, um, summer training was like how, what my, like identity and working on my identity and like learning what, like what privilege I have. Cause coming in, I was like, oh, I'm not privileged. I'm first generation. I come from a low income background. Like there's no privilege on my end. And then like coming to terms of like what privilege meant and how I am like an asset, if that makes sense. Um, to my students because I'm bringing in that like different experience and then I'm exposing them to my students. Um, especially coming from like the Southwest. My kids don't, like I teach kindergarten. They don't know what Arizona, they don't even know what Indianapolis is. Like you have to teach them, this is your city, this is your home, this is the state you live in. I live all the way over here. Um, and so now like bringing that and how Max is saying like we also have Marion and we have um, TSA like professional development. And then I got lucky where I was um, placed in a found like a starter school, so I got heavy coaching, heavy, 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 heavy coaching, which is great because I came in and I couldn't even like redirect the kid. I was always smiling, <laughs> and, so, and then, like I came to a point where I was like crying, and I was like, "Oh my god, how am I supposed to like redirect a kid if I can't even control my myself?" So it's obviously Absolutely. gotten better. Go ahead, Max. I was just gonna say like, I don't know my experience, I'd be curious to hear Taylor and Stephanie and even you, uh, David, is that like teaching is like a craft. Like it is like, it's a continual practice mm -hmm. as opposed to like, just like, a, like it has more in common with carpentry or plumbing in a certain respect. Like it is a set of skills that you're continually refining and like training happens most aggressively like in the room with the students. Yep. Like, so like, even at the end of two years, I'm not the teacher I want to be yet. Cause like, that's, that's a life's journey. That's like, that's like, I'm, I've finished my apprenticeship as it were. Mm -hmm. Like that's where I'm at. I don't know about y'all. Yeah. I, I think to your point, yeah. Teaching, teaching is an art. It's a craft. It's something that you continuously get better at, right? Like you continuously have to, to touch, brush up on it. You continuously have to um, work at it because you just don't come in, you know, ready day one and i think you know I'm, I, I got a story i'm gonna share but i'm gonna jump into these comments because we got some folks that have jumped in so love this so rico said earlier like lots of love for indy so i hope that indy's number one on your list now and so we'll make sure we do a in a couple years i'll make sure you guys are still here and i know that indy is uh 
still number one on your list. Uh, Lily Lily Wright says, if anything, TFA proves and validates the continuous training it, 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 it is what it makes an effective teacher. Absolutely. Right. I think um, I've seen that. And I, I'll tell you my, my, my little funny TFA story from a friend I talked with. Uh, and then Brandon Brown said, Taylor makes such a good point. The quality of leadership within your placement school makes a difference. Yeah, like for sure. Like it definitely does. Uh, Tobias says, do any first year teachers feel like effective teachers? Yeah, the ones that are uh, not being truthful. <laughs> if a first year teacher tells you they're great, they are, they're on something. I'll just say that. <laughs> they're on something. Let's just say that. Uh, Madeline, who is always a fan of the show and jumping in, says one of TFA's greatest strengths is, I believe, the focus on DEI uh, work right now from the start of their careers. Absolutely. We're going to talk about that. That's one of my myths. I'm, we're going to definitely address <laughs> that. But um, so I taught, uh, it's like my third year teaching, right? And so I had a teacher, first year TFA teacher, walked into summer training and was like, yeah, I'm ready. I did my little five year or five week, whatever, you know, the intensive training. And so like, like they're just bragging and, you know, using all the buzzwords, education equity and achievement <laughs> gap and, you know, you know, those words, education <laughs> jargon, right? They read the whole book. And so he says, I'm ready. One, I was like, so tell me about your experience. He's like, you know, I, I taught some of the toughest kids. I forgot what city they were in. He's like, yeah. And, I, you know, it was it was fifth grade. Mind you, this is a high school, right? So he's teaching high school, but he did his placement in fifth grade. Then he says, yeah, I had like eight of the toughest kids in summer school. I said, eight? Homie, I had 31 my first year teaching, right? Like eight, right? So mind you, uh, after the first quarter, he came back. He said, you know, Dave, man, this is harder than I thought. I was like, yeah, it is. And back to your point, what he said was he didn't get better as a teacher until he sat in the grass school classes, right? So between the grad school classes and then going, meeting with his other uh, TFA uh, uh, colleagues and saying like, this is what I'm going through. What are you going through? And then being able to share those experiences and having that support system, that's what made him a better teacher. And so I think like it's a combination of the grad school, the support within the cohort that's going to make people a better teacher. But yeah, he was just like, he was ready. He was so ready. And I was just like, homie, this is about to be a rude awakening. So yeah. How funny. We walked into my summer school classroom and I, again, probably had eight kids, right? And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was coming from like me teaching adults previously, but I was so tuned out to what my kids were doing, right? They were mm -hmm. literally, like I watched one of my videos, hanging upside down. <laughs> um, and it's just one of like, you know, like, like Max said, um, we're finishing it like this is our apprenticeship at the end of the day. And okay, you yeah. hear from the experience and from learning from other teachers and all of that. It's it ain't, yeah. Nah, no, no, yeah, and I think we yeah, there's Jadon, one of my favorite people. I, listen, you know, this was this was our brainchild, so I'm just glad I was able to, to facilitate it for sure. The comments are jumping now, and they, we're about to really get into some of the heat of this. Um I got, let me see, Tobias Rowe to the earlier myths about leaving the classroom two years. I'm sure you could find the exact number on the, ooh, yep. You could definitely find the exact number, but here's the thing, though. It ain't just TFA. I know folks that went <laughs> traditional that's bouncing out these classrooms. You hear me? So uh, that, that's real. And uh, Michael says, I was in Indianapolis teaching fellows. Training was intense, but I agree. You learn some in the summer school training, but become the most effective teacher when you get the guidance from the teacher and great principals. Yeah. Listen, I have an obligation, right, to make sure that I am 
training and uplifting all my teachers, but specifically those that I know are coming from transition programs because you didn't go through the three and a half years in the student teaching and things like that, right? So there just has to be, there's a different learning curve. Um, and you know, Stephanie, to your point, I'm still chuckling thinking about it. They think classroom management is just smiling at a kid, right? So you yeah. don't know what you don't know, right? Until somebody teaches you. So it's just really important um, that that happens. Yep. The fullness of the program is important. It doesn't stop after the summer. So. All right, here we go. Um, myth number four, and I didn't even type myth number four in here. Okay, so I'll tell you what it is. Uh, TFA teachers are not equipped to teach given that they only receive five weeks of training, right? So this isn't different, right? So I'm not talking about just being an effective teacher. I'm talking about just being able to teach at all, right? Day one, right? So does the five weeks, it's got to, right? I, it, this thing's been running for 30 years, like <laughs> you, yes. the, the, the myth, the right? Like, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's like, what else is there to say? Exactly. No, you're right. I, I had to ask, listen, I had to ask, cause I know people that say, they're not ready to teach it. I'm like, come on now. They weren't just sitting around doing Kumbaya for five weeks. They learned something. But also like, when you think about how many people go into careers after undergrad that didn't study that in undergrad, are they also not equipped for their jobs and their positions? Oh, uh, you said a word. You said a word right there. <laughs> yeah. True that, true that. Stephanie, you know, um, what, did, what, what did it give you? Tell, how about this? Each of you tell me what one thing you got from your five weeks, right? That you were able to take in day one in your classroom and your school. I take some time to think, give you some think time, best practice for teachers. I'll give you think time uh, and then we'll cold call. <laughs> Max, you seem like you're ready to go. So I'm gonna go All right. first. Um, this was like a, like a happy accident. Um, the curriculum I used at summer school was uh, the curriculum that like I've been using for the past two years. Like, so like getting my hands hands dirty, like teaching math, which is a feeder teacher, like I'm not teaching. So like brand new disciplines, like getting used to that, like that work and that sort of steps, like that was invaluable. I think for me, it was like a reality check. For me, it was like a reality check. I was like, oh, I don't know anything. Like what did I get myself into? And I'm coming back um, from Houston to back to Indy. And, um, but luckily for me, well, kind of luckily, I had a weekend off um, from like TFA training. And then I started my like school training. So I also had like another five weeks of um, on school training. So that was really helpful. Um, uh, my experience at training was just not pleasant at all. Um, I think the best thing that I took back home was, or brought back home, was literally not to do what I did there. Um, it was trial and error, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff that I did, I switched up in the classroom. Um, not necessarily saying it was better, but again, trial and error, just trying to That's do things good. differently because it didn't work when I was there. <laughs> I'm gonna jump. Uh, Lily said, "I'm confused that Buddy was excited at the institute. Listen, homie was he was geeked, man. He was geeked. I, I don't know what to tell you, but that's real. I left thinking, wow, they really trusted me to do this. That's real. <laughs> did, did, did you all have that same question? Like somebody is about to trust me with the lives of children right now, right? Like, I, let me tell you something. 
I went to school to do this, right? And you heard in my soliloquy, my passion. But like straight up after that first year, I said, they about to give me a classroom with more kids, right? <laughs> like this is real talk. So I taught at a high school for two years. So I taught a year. I came back the next year, right? I found my juniors who were now seniors. I went to them and apologized for what I thought was the lack of education that I provided them. Because that first year, I'm sure it was terrible. So I apologized to them, right? And so because I know it was bad. It had to be, right? And so, again, folks jumping in the comments, we appreciate that. Got got uh, is it Javante? He's agreeing with you. Um, got some little love here from Laura. Madeline jumped in and said, lifelong learners, you got to be. You got to be lifelong learners. If, if you're not, to Max's point, like, you're going to suck at this, right? You're going you're gonna to get to a point in your career where you're going to be stuck, where you won't be able to uh, increase your toolkit, right? So definitely support system with colleagues in and with you. Yeah, I'm sure you guys are close. And we're going to talk about the closeness of TFA a little later. Um, but that's definitely something big. And then think about the micro moments in the classroom. How do you react when a kid cusses in your class? you're in charge of and how many kids do you let go to the bathroom at the same time? Yeah. Hey, well, you know, I don't know if you guys know, so I typically don't talk about, you know, my job, uh, but I'm a principal at Tinley. Yeah. We don't do the cussing, but uh, as far as the bathroom, listen, I, I tell teachers, first year teachers, TFA teachers, ITF teachers, you cannot send five kids to the bathroom at the same time. Right? So one boy, one girl, wait till they come back. One boy, one girl. If you send a kid and a two more kids raise their hand of the same sex, just know that they're going to the bathroom to play. So I just, always a disclaimer. <laughs> always a disclaimer for sure. Um, myth number five. Okay, so here we go. This is the big one, right? This is this is like, this is, this is David McGuire's myth. So TFA does not support the work of providing an equitable education for their students. Can, can you unpack what you mean by that? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 absolutely. So, you know, you guys heard my soliloquy, right? And my push, right? And so, and I mentioned, and I, I'm going to read it again. Just want to go to her thesis. She wanted to build a school or provide training for, you know, outstanding college graduates to teach in high poverty schools, right? So you're taking brand new teachers, right? Who didn't go through a training, who didn't go through school to do this, and you're going to put them in the neediest schools, right? Does Teach for America over the course of your two-year uh, commitment, when you say in it, do they give you the tools necessary to make sure that you're providing a quality and equitable education for black and brown children? Because I heard that they don't. I'm asking you, do they? Because the myth is that they don't. So my question is, do, does TFA give you what you need over the course of your time with them to make sure that you're providing an equitable and quality education for children of color? How was that? Does that help? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. So I get it. I, I, like, I guess when you think about it, like you said, you're bringing these, these fresh graduates that have never had any training in the classroom um, and you're putting them in these uh, high poverty schools with black and brown kids. Are you just using them as like guinea pigs, so to speak? Um, mm -hmm. And I would say no. I mean, I know we've discussed overwhelmingly just all of the additional training that we get after our five weeks at Institute that they just don't leave us hanging. Um, that is their mission. And we spend so much time throughout the years just digging into that and what we can do 
um, to be equitable teachers and make sure our kids have the things that they need. So definitely. Yeah. I agree with Taylor. Like they provide us all the necessary tools that we need, the coaching. I remember like my first yeah. year, I like <laughs> cried to my coach and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> am I even doing anything? Uh -huh. um, because I was like, they can't read. I was teaching kindergarten, so they couldn't even hold a pencil. I was like, I like, how am I supposed to get them from here to here? She's like, you need to take a breath. Like, you're just putting the whole weight on your the the whole weight of the world on yourself. Like, that's not what you're supposed to do. And I feel like if someone thinks like that, that's in TFA, then they are probably not really paying attention to all the conversations that are occurring, or they're not realizing the impact that they're doing. Absolutely. I feel like Teach for America does uh, Indian Indianapolis, and I'm speaking purely from like my experience of it, does everything with their power to make that happen. I think mm -hmm. of like my coaching relationships I've had with like my TFA coaches, like people who have been in the TFA context for one, and some remained in education for a bit before becoming coaches. And so like they have an understanding of our experience and our context, and they have an understanding of our schools in some instances, like some are former Teach for America indie folk. I think of the fact that like my past two years, like I became a better teacher and like a better sense of like equity and what like serving my my students with exceptionalities looks like because I had a Teach for America coach who did special education, who could talk, we could have conversations and he could sharp, we can sharpen each other on that. Like, I th and he did everything within his power to support me in my, like, in my classrooms and also just like how to have difficult conversations with admin, how to have conversations with parents, like everything like that. I feel like they do everything within their resources, their graphs to support their core members. And like, also part of it's just like making sure like to build that core member efficacy of just like asking for help, like Absolutely. cultivating that skill. Absolutely. And I, I want to I wanna put up these two comments from uh, Madeline Jadon. So she said, I've had many traditionally trained teachers to tell me that they never had the conversation or talked about ra biases, race, identity, um, and et cetera. So I feel like the 90% of what we talk about throughout the course experience is that. Right. Listen, so I've taught in a, a charter school, a state takeover school, um, and I've worked in a um, township district school. Right. And so it wasn't until I, I was around TFA folks or like whether they're friends or things like that, where I know these conversations are happening. I'm telling you right now, most of the tra traditional pathway schools at the universities mm -hmm. don't talk about race, right? It's not a, it's not a pool they want to jump in or even dip their toes in. Right. But I think what I've seen and what I've heard from teach for America and even ITF, but specifically teach for America is they're unapologetic about speaking about these things. Right. And so whether it's black white, Latinx, like there's these conversations about race because predominantly the children that Teach for America serve are students of color. And you can't skate around this issue. You can't, can't skate around these issues with these teachers, whether or not they come from privilege, not privileged, low income, middle class, whatever, like these conversations are important. Um, Jadon said, our DI efforts can definitely improve, but as a professional DI practitioner, for the last decade, I can honestly say, I didn't start a real conversation about race uh, and it didn't start until TFA, right? Like so. I think TFA is doing the worst. So for those that are listening, right, that still have this idea that you guys don't get it. And when I mean get it, it, it is that this thing of teaching in low-income schools is a fight to give our kids a better opportunity on the runway, right? To get our kids caught up on the runway in this race to a better future and a better life. So, like, maybe if you can share a specific time within a training or something you heard that was like, 
man, this is really good. Like I needed this in, in relates to like conversation about race, anything like that. Can do you guys have any examples um, that you can share? Because there's a lot of folks listening, right, that don't know what TFA talks about. And so uh, we'd love to hear from you all, folks that are in a comment about a, a specific training that stood out to you that talked about race or, you know, equity or things like that. So I think for me it was, um, so at Institute every like once a week, twice a week or something like that, we actually have DEI sessions um, where we're talking about all of the things, just digging in and doing all of the self work before we go into these classrooms. Um, and as somebody like myself, who I didn't grow up with all of the privilege, but I don't even think I had realized my privilege until I got into one of those sessions. So one in particular, we had to go around the room and if you could, like if you came from a two parent home or if you went to private school or if you did all of these different things, you were supposed to put your name on the list or like where you ranked on the spectrum. Right. And it was a lot of them. I was like, oh, I'm up there for real. Um, <laughs> and so like I can't as a black woman just go into my classroom and think that I'm going to be able to relate to my kids just because I'm black. Mm. Um, and so like I have to understand the things that were different from my childhood and my experiences and how I can make sure that they have. Um, different experiences than what they're projected to have. I think uh, for me, it was we. It was like we broke out into smaller groups and discussed how we were racialized, and then how did that affected or enhanced or diminished our education experiences in like public schools, and like you know me reflecting on like school as it's currently set up is a pretty white socialized experience, and so mm. and like it reinforces like a lot of white supremacist norms about how about to stay quiet, things like that. And so like getting to have like an earnest conversation where I'm hearing someone else who is of a different, you know, identity than me discussing their, how their, ex their experiences and being racialized, like often butt up against education and didn't allow them to succeed initially like they were, or the way that the compromises they had to make was eye opening for me and how I want to try and teach. Absolutely. Stephanie? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Um, I brought it up earlier that I think like the biggest lesson that I got was um, privilege. So we had like mm. kind of how Taylor was talking about, like we had a whole activity. I think we had like a whole week where we talked about privilege and it was really eye opening for me because I didn't really think that I came from a place of privilege. Um, and I think I have an interesting experience um, in TFA Indy in that I'm one of like the handful that is not white or black. Um, mm. So I'm one of the few, like the handful, especially like, um, there's like a small but mighty little population of um, Latinx, Asian, um, Hawaiian Pacific, um, Pacific Islanders, and um, I'm missing some other ones. Um, I think that I'm, I'm missing some, and it, it's gonna <laughs> kill me. But I'm missing some other people that, that are being represented that are mm -hmm. small, but like we're counted. Um, and it's it's um, it's nice to know that even though like I don't see myself with the staff, I know that the staff are trying to do their very hardest to like support me in what I in any way that they they can um and then if i ask hey that like this misinformation is occurring within like my core members they're they're quick to be like okay how can we address this so that um the issue in terms of like race um isn't misconceptions aren't being occurring within and like i can think of like for example um immigration immigration is like a mm -hmm. hot topic to talk about and i think it's mm -hmm. um something that is um something that might that can easily get miscommunicated. There's a lot of misconceptions. And if it comes up, like DACA, TFA started like an initiative, TFA nation, nationwide started like a, a DACA initiative. And so it's like, if you bring the idea to the table, TFA is like more than willing to 
have those conversations. It's just like someone needs to bring it up Absolutely. so that they notice that it's also an issue that's affecting core members. Yeah. So I, I think we've dispelled the myths that I came up with, right? And the myths that we, we found. But before we close the show, again, this is the Recess Podcast. Uh, Max and Taylor and Stephanie are, are joined with me. We're dispelling some myths of, of TFA and, and specifically uh, Teach for America Indianapolis. So uh, to those haters, right? Um, because we're, we're in the last two segments. And so this last question um, is to those haters who want to bash the work of Teach for America um, and they question your commitment to this fight of educational injustice for, for students. Um, what do y'all say to them? And, and I want the folks that are in the comments. This is where I want. I need the whole TFA nation, the whole TFA group, coalition, uh, gang, cult, whatever you, whatever y'all are, TFA folks, jump in the comments. What do you say to those folks that hate, that just spew venom and negativity about um, TFA and just educate them. School, school some folks for a minute, right? About you all's commitment to this fight. Um, what you guys got to say? So for me, I think it's bold to, to base your own experience and blame an entire organization. And I think that's what you see a lot of times is people having poor experiences for whatever reason. Um, and then they want to pin it on an entire organization. Um, and I think that just takes personal growth. Right. When you realize that maybe you could have done some things a little different and don't get me wrong, like TFA is not perfect by any means. But I think especially Indianapolis specifically, they do a lot to make sure that we're good um, to make sure that we have all of the things that we need. Um, and I think it just takes communication. So I won't say that things have been all peachy keen and glory for me. Um, but I will say one thing I can hands down say is TFA Indy has had my back the entire mm -hmm. time. And they have made sure that I have everything I needed, even when it came to things outside of the classroom. Um, they've just been there for me. Um, and so it's a personal thing. And it's <laughs> it's too bad that you went through that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Stephanie, what do, you, what do you say to those haters that um, hate on the work at TFA? I I don't really have a lot, but the few that I like, I can count the ones that have like said something against TFA, and it's like, why don't you get in then, or why aren't you in TFA? Because obviously, why you're talking smack about TFA is because you could one, you couldn't get in, or you. It's not like why you couldn't get in. So <laughs> people that I know that talk smack is because they couldn't get in. So. <laughs> listen, hey, listen. You know, I, I share. I shared that I didn't get in, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't meant for me. But I think to your point, Stephanie, right? The ones that some of the ones that hate and continue to hate, if you unpack their haterism, it's because they didn't get in and they feel some type of way, right? Yeah. And they just just own it and embrace it like I did. I didn't get in, damn it. But guess what? If you're really about the educating the children, you find, you know, again, I was traditionally trained. I wanted the master degree. Yeah, you find another way. So absolutely. So Max, what do you say to those haters? That the hate on the work you guys are doing. Uh, uh, we're here. You're gonna work with us or not? Man, say that again. Where's that? Where, where's that post there? Hold on. I saw somebody said that. Uh, here we go. Yep. We aren't going anywhere. So please work with us. Absolutely. Like you know, and that's where. Let me talk to my let me my principal friends. Right. Let, let me let me hold on. Those principals that have this thing where I'm not gonna hire somebody that was TFA. And I'm talking about TFA people that like do your two years and stay in education. They still won't hire you. 
That's stupid. That's just that's stupid because again, TFA came to Indianapolis specifically because there was a shortage of not just teachers as far as the body, but a shortage of quality trained teachers, right? So if traditional programs in Indianapolis were doing right and we were filling these schools, there wouldn't have been a place for TFA. So why would you not tap into that talent resource? That's just stupid. I, I'll leave it there. I'm not gonna get into a little quick. I'm gonna I'm post these comments before we get out of here. So got uh made a great point a lot of the hey i saw was from people, individual experience hey yeah people self-care man self-care save lives and people have some other personal things that they didn't know about. um okay real quick everybody i do this every show take a moment this is auntie lauren auntie Peter. i want to wave to auntie lauren she is like the indianapolis education auntie uh so got to give her some love auntie lauren love you love you much uh thank you for tuning in Okay, Tobias has a very long, I'm going to post this quickly. Uh, so it's really long. So it's not scripted who counts, not the man who points out how strong man stumbles or where the, oh, this is deep. This is, deep. okay. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. We know where that came from. Whose face is marred by the dust, sweat, and blood, who strives villainly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcomings. But who does, who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who's been absolutely. We know where that's from. The man in the arena. Shout out that. Got it here again. There we go. TFA 09, still living to serve as an, at a charter school in downtown Chicago. Look, there you go. So, so look, may not be an indie, but again, it's still in the works, still in education, still providing quality education. Love it. Uh, thank you, IT, IT Lauren. We're loving, love, th appreciate the Recess Podcast. And then she says hi to you all, too. So hey, if you guys don't, listen, if you don't know Auntie Lauren, y'all got to meet Auntie Lauren. I'm telling you, she is, she's the best. And definitely, definitely need for you all to meet her. So uh, we're at the last portion of the show. And so I always close up. I give all my guests an opportunity to share whatever they want to share. So I don't know if you guys have your own thing that you do or a shout out your school. It's recruitment season. Right. So maybe you want to talk about the school you work at, hit, hit to get more recruitment, because I don't know if your principal is watching or will be watching. So I'm going to give you this time, each of you to kind of just whatever you want to share, whether it's about the previous conversation that I had in the beginning about what's going on in society. If, if you now feel comfortable enough to speak about that or if you want to talk about your school or just anything else that you want to share person about you, about this fight for education, um, I want to give you that space before we close out. So I'm going to start with wait a minute who, who who's the newest to tfa taylor. is that you taylor, taylor. <laughs> taylor. okay yeah i thought that's what you said because i think max and Stephanie, you guys are 18 right yeah yeah, yeah okay so taylor you're going first Woo. uh the floor is yours <laughs> whatever you want to talk about share um all i would say is just like to all educators is um first of all show up as the person that you want to be seen as um, and that being in your classroom in your schools if and advocate for your kids um you are like their their main advocate when it comes to school every day um and i'm not gonna lie it's as we've seen there are a lot of karens in the schools as teachers as administrators and it is up to us to stand in the gap of that right don't let that reach your children um and what else? And just like keep it real with your kids at all times. Um, you would be surprised that even like myself, I have second graders. 
how much they understand because they're going through so much themselves. Um, and they need somebody who's not going to BS around all of the different things just because they're kids. Um, so keep it real with them. I had a conversation with the little boy about something that he did that put him on punishment. And we just started summer break. Um, and I was just really just filling him in on what is going on in the city right now that he had no idea about. Um, so just like keeping it real with your kids and like they're humans. They're just small. That's all I got. Jeffrey Kansas. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so let's do it this way. I don't know if you know who got in the TFA first. Stephanie, Max, which one of y'all got in first? Do you know who got in first? I was, I was, I was last. <laughs> well, Max, you're next. All right. There you go. Hey. There you go. All right. Um, I think my big thing is like echoing that. You just got to be your authentic self. Like. I'm a theater dude. I'm really goofy. Like I paint my, like they're chipped right now, but I paint my nails. And so like I get five-year-old boys who like, we have a conversation about that, right? Like I paint my nails. It's something fun I do with my kid. Like I, I don't care. It doesn't make me less of a man or a person. Mm. Like, And we can have that conversation about that. Um, second thing, like shout out to to the, my placement school, which I am leaving, Kip Indy. They've treated me wonderfully. They've developed me in a lot of ways as a special educator. Uh, shout out to Cold Spring where I'll be going. Uh, to work with Cody Stipes and some awesome people. And a, a big shout out to like, um, you talked about, you know, our friends and stuff. Like I got through Teach for America because of my special education cohort. Like we were stuck together and we could share our unique problems and unique contexts and really support each other. And I want to shout all of them out because they're amazing human beings. And I, I owe a debt of gratitude to them. Absolutely. Stephanie, last but not least. Um. I definitely say that you need to find ways to take care of yourself. Um, that was something that I really struggled and I, like still to this point struggle with, um, which is why I'm always picking up hobbies every like two days and Taylor can attest. Um, right now it's uh, painting furniture. <laughs> um, um, shout out to Circle City Prep, um, especially my coworkers, Taylor, Javante, Jazz, who are in the chat. Um, shout out to them who have gotten me through through this e-learning. Um, yeah, thanks for having us on this podcast. Hey, this listen, is the first. I listen, love hey, this. Man. this the, I, I want to, um, and I, I'm going to go into uh, my soliloquy. Uh, but first, I, I want to say this. Listen, um, I did a lot of, y'all joked around about me and my experience with TFA and, and like the beginning, my evolution for my love of TFA, but I want to say this, and I'm specifically talking to the individuals that work for Teach for America, Indianapolis right now that are doing the work. As a school principal, um, as somebody who, first of all, love, I love my East Side babies. Um, I, 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 I'm East Side adopted. So I, I love um, everything about this work that I do. Um, I am, every day I get amazed with Teach for America, Indianapolis, because I see the, the change that's happening. I see how Teach for America Indianapolis is really diving into this fight for a quality education in Indianapolis. And we talked about our activism, right? For me, activism is education, right? This is, I'm willing to sacrifice everything that I built personally as a principal and as an educator to, to shout out those Amy's and those Karen's that are trying to oppress our children. And I'm willing to lose it all, right? For the, for the sacrifice of black children. And I appreciate Teach for America because Teach for America is equipping teachers like you all and other teachers to make sure for those of the, that, that try to make sure that they shut you up, that they're building a big enough platform and a big enough coalition that you won't be able to be quiet. 
And so I want to first thank those leaders that Teach for America Indianapolis for the work that you're doing. Um, I appreciate you as a principal. I appreciate you as an educator. And I appreciate you as just somebody who was born and, born and raised in Indianapolis. Um, to you three and to the rest of Teach for America teachers, um, I appreciate you because you are my brothers and my sisters in this work. So definitely keep it up. Um, you guys got a platform here with the Recess Podcast. Um, anytime you guys want to come on, um, we I, I welcome you. We can do this conversation again. Um, I got some other ideas we can talk about for Teach for America. So definitely want you guys to do that. So again, we'll get these last comments up. Uh, there's Jasmine uh, and then Madeline. Yep, absolutely. I, I appreciate you. I got to get I got a show for you, Madeline. So if you're listening, I'm gonna reach out to you. I got an idea I need your help with. Um, and then there's Javante again. Uh, much love <laughs> there. Auntie Lauren says love for Teach for America. Uh there, thank you again. Appreciate it. Appreciate those that are tuning in. Uh, they're coming in. Jadai, absolutely love. I love you too, sis. Uh, there he is. There he is I right would. there. Hey. Yes. Hey. Uh, that soliloquy was for you, sir. I appreciate your work uh, that you're doing. You know, you and I had conversations uh, offline about a lot of things. Uh, I, I know your leadership is guiding the work definitely at Teach for America, so I appreciate it. Uh, those tuning in, again, this is in the Recess Podcast. If you're first not tuning in, share this video. I'm going to post the link for Anchor for the actual recording. Taylor, Matt, Stephanie, if you could share it with your friends, I'll make sure I send it to you guys in the email. I'll post it on my Facebook page or social media for those that missed it. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. I'll be back next week for my first solo show of the Recess Podcast. I'm going on solo. Ooh. So I've done eight episodes where I've been having guests. So I'm gonna do my first solo show. Uh, so it's like. called, yeah, yeah, it's called uh, Self Care Save Lives. So oh, again, yeah. it's gonna talk about a little bit what's going on here. Uh, it's gonna talk about you know education and how it's important that we got to take care of ourselves as educators. So uh, want you guys to tune in again, 7:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This has been the Recess Podcast featuring Max, Taylor, and Stephanie, and also Teach for America, Andy. And we're out, people. Take care. <laughs>